And welcome back to the New Age Boxing Podcast with me, Andy White. With me today, we are back up to full strength with the original crew. We have today, Martin Theobald. I don't feel like it's full strength with me because I really like Umar's input. So like, I, I'm going to miss more. It's my wife's birthday next week. I'm going to sit that out, Umar, if you're listening. <laughs> tagging you back in, mate. <laughs> <laughs> we have asked him just to come on and replace you without even talking about it, didn't we, Terry? But, you know. Oh, whoa. I did, did we? <laughs> yeah, it's deep. <laughs> did we? <laughs> I haven't even started yet and I've been kicked off. <laughs> <laughs> and Terry Chapandama. Mm-hmm. The singing Terry Chapandama. Mm-hmm. This Christmas. You can buy all of Terry Chapandama's greatest hits, including Humming on the Podcast. Ah, I'm good. Let's start. Can I pay not to get him? <laughs> no. <laughs> Compulsory listens. Okay. Uh, welcome back. Um, we're talking mainly about... Boxing. Boxing Stuff. this week. The Liverpool card. Fielding versus, unless anyone's got anything exciting from the weekend. Well, I've done at the weekend. I was down oh. at the board awards at the weekend, so. Uh, oh, oh, oh. I was hobnobbing with. Uh, Shit was kicking off. <laughs> <laughs> it really wasn't. Oh, right, uh, okay. Apart from me being very drunk. Uh, Standard. Yeah. I caught up with a few people. I was chatting with Gary Lockett and. Duke McKenzie, Frank Buglioni, Terry's favourite. Three names. I don't believe you weren't drunk before the rest of them. Like. Oh, on a side note, though, on a side note, how maligned is Duke McKenzie? Like, he's a legitimate three-time world yep. champion and he never gets talked about in this country. And I think that's a real shame, actually, because he's, he's a guy who actually went out and won titles before promoters in this country were able to just gerrymander the rankings the way they do now. Yeah. Uh, and it was outrageous claim. But on, um, on that note, like it was seeing who people take photos of. I tweeted this out. I think it might've been when I was there. It might've been the day after. It's all a bit of a blur now. Um, <laughs> no the one doubt. person who gets their photo taken more than anyone else at these events is Eddie Hearn. Really? Like, and in that room, you've got Josh Taylor, you've got Barry McGuigan, uh, Saunders, there's, like just so many there's McKenzie who's saying there's so many talents like old new world champions and the one person that was like queued, I can up, Im- queued up for tickets uh, for photos almost was Eddie Hearn I can imagine it's like yeah. a reverse well, 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 to be honest, to be honest you know you got pulled up for this tweet <laughs> who was who was like how dare you belittle people I'm tired of you guys like you slagging off casuals <laughs> No, that's somebody else. Somebody else joined in on that. That was hilarious. Yeah, but uh, no, it was um, it was a good night, a really good night. I enjoyed it, but uh, I, was... I, I can imagine it's more like one of those reverse, not a comic con, collector mania, where yeah. you'd 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 queue up to have your picture taken with the guy that played this guy. I can imagine Eddie Hearn walks around going, "Excuse me, mate, have you had a picture of me yet?" He's like, 
Uh, no. <laughs> hey, take a photo of us. I, but I don't want one. Take a photo with me. Come on. Yeah, no, there, there were so many people that genuinely... And, like, he was in business mode a lot of the night as well. He was in little dark corners having conversations with people, trying to get away from... So he was, like... I know he had to be up in Liverpool the next day for the Liverpool card, but... Uh, and I think as well, I've got a feeling Anthony Joshua was meant to be there Friday night on the uh, board awards when I was chatting with Robert Smith for a bit, the head of the board, uh, and him and his like right-hand man who was there helping out with the PR stuff uh, were both looking on a bit nervously about, like, is Joshua going to get here on time for his award? No, he didn't at all. So Rob McCracken got sent up for one, Hearn got sent up for one, uh, and then Joshua just, by the looks of it, chinned it off for the evening and didn't bother mm. turning up at all. It's interesting. So, um, yeah, no, it's a good night. I've, I've always had a question about Joshua. And it's, how many injuries does he carry? Because they don't really publicise much about AJ. But I was talking about this in the gym last week. A guy that big, that explosive and that active has to be carrying all types of injuries. And I can imagine like when he's in camp now, he's probably just there going... My tendons are killing me. My joints are killing me. The last thing I want is to traipse into London for God knows what reason. I have a question on this. When you hear professional footballers, ex-professionals usually, but hear, like sometimes you occasionally get pressure footballers that say that fifty percent, over fifty percent of their career, they were never fully fit. Is that the same for boxers? Yeah, yeah. Because you see every boxer say, "This has been my best camp ever. This has been I'm phenomenal shape." Then after the fight, they're like. No, nah, that wasn't the best camp. I had problems with this. I had problems with that. Bellew's actually these days quite honest about things when he's kind of in the lead up to fights. He's good like that. But they used to be, talking about Joshua, they used to be at the beginning of his career quite honest about it. Um, when he was maybe like four or five fights in, he had to take a while off with a bad back, didn't he? Yeah. Um, and they said that he needed treatment on it. But I think that's the last time I've ever publicly seen a a statement on Joshua being injured in any way. Because he he's... He... I I know this from having talked to guys that were our Mike Tyson. The styles both men have are so explosive that they just take a toll on you. It, it, it You can't... Your muscles can get bigger, your muscles can get stronger, your tendons and your ligaments don't. And so having to do that for 12 weeks of a camp and then execute that in a fight, it comes with a heavy price. I'm trying to... You know, the number of times I've had calls or text messages from guys and they're saying... Wait, I'm not fit enough to fight, but I have to fight. So it might be a niggle with the hand, it might be a niggle with the elbow, but you'll go in and fight. It's because camps are, yeah, camps are pretty brutal places. Because remember, you're sparring. You're not. It's not like you're just on the pads in the bag and you go and fight. You're legitimately sparring week after week. So you're going to catch an elbow. You're going to catch the top of someone's head, and your hands. Normally, your hands, your elbows, and your shoulders pay for it. Okay, so up in Liverpool at the weekend, uh, we had Rocky Fielding versus David Brophy. Did you watch it? I did. I mean, I, the main event of that was um, Paul Butler versus Stewie Hall. But can't, let's be honest, like, how many people out there listening actually watched that fight? Nope, I'd be surprised me. if many. Because um, <laughs> it clashed with Myris Bradis versus uh, Mike Perez over in the World Boxing Super Series. So... Uh, I watched the entire undercard from Liverpool, which was all right. Like, let's quantify that now, and then switched over for the uh, the World Boxing Super Series. But uh, fielding Brophy over and around, <laughs> uh, yeah, just a blowout. Like Brophy, I don't know, just got overwhelmed, smashed up. There's the same way Rocky Fielding got smashed by Callum Smith in a round. 
like Rocky Fielding took that same beating and just handed it to David Brophy. Um, yeah, just showed when people talk about there were levels to boxing, that was a big highlight of it. As there were a couple of others during the night as well. But I'll say this: it's it? it's yeah, I saw it. I call it the legacy of George Groves. George Groves gives you that kind of hiding that you never seem to recover from. So I don't think the Brophy that fought Fielding is the Brophy that fought Groves. Um, there's something in boxing, and you see this in boxers. When they get taken out of their comfort zone, whether it's someone who is too quick for them, whether it's someone who punches too hard for them, they change as fighters because they now suddenly realize that there's something out there that worries them. And I think Brophy's in that category now because he had it from Groves with Groves' right hand. And as soon as Fielding started to land that right hand, Brophy just went, oh shit, him as well. And then... (laughs) The Brophy, to be fair, he'd been over to Australia, hadn't he? Post the Groves fight and won the Commonwealth title away from home. I can't even remember who it was that he beat, to be honest. So, I think that says it all. Yeah, yeah, no, it does. Don't get me wrong. but um... Was it Reynold Quinlan? <laughs> but, you know, Fielding's got more about him than Brophy was willing to, uh, you know, to put up. Let's not forget, Fielding is one of the class of 2008. Um, I'll always refer back to this because I still maintain... It's the last good crop of amateurs this country's produced. Moving on. Well, in fact, this whole card, you've got Davis versus Farrell. What was that like? Do you know what? This was a uh, a horrific fight, let's be honest. <laughs> it, what, Not in terms of... There's in a war or is No, it you've got terrible? Ahara Davis uh, against Tom Farrell. And Tom Farrell, who's got this 13-0 undefeated record going into the fight... And in round one, well, he'd been dropped three times by the end of the second round. And like the first drop was awful. Like the left hand just absolutely wiped out. And I was shocked. I said to my wife, sat on the sofa, I was like, he's fucked. Like he's not getting up from that, Tom Farrell. And he did. And he was up at like eight, nine. And the ref allowed it to carry on. And he gets dropped again. Second round dropped again. And by that point, you're just thinking, Tom Farrell in. However many fights had, 13 or something. He's got like 25% KO rate against not very good opponents. And so it shows he's not a puncher. He's not somebody who's going to have that opportunity to just wipe Ahara Davis out with the one punch. And so why are his corner leaving him in there when he's just getting pounded? Like Ahara Davis may not be the most technically gifted, technically beautiful fighter out there. But undoubtedly, he can hit hard. Now, he never hit Josh Taylor hard because Josh Taylor is that next level whereby he couldn't get his hands on him. But Tom Farrell is that level below. And Ahara Davis could bully him, could beat him up and could do some serious damage to him. And I hear Tom Farrell ended up in hospital after the fight. I hope he's well, hope he's okay. It was an example of whereby the corner should have pulled out Tom Farrell long before the end. And as the corner didn't, and I get that, maybe the corner were hoping, you know, they've got that vested interest in their man seeing it through to the final bell, perhaps having that one punch ability. You know, maybe they've seen it in the gym and no one's seen it in the ring. I don't know. But the referee is there to look after the safety of the two men in the ring. He didn't do his job for me. He just didn't do it properly because if he did, he'd have stopped that fight in round two when Tom Farrell went down again. And he didn't. And to me, that was quite disgusting. It was uh, it was poor. We had a great question on that. I'll find it. But Terry, um, did you see Davis Farrell? I did. I think we're going to call this fight the rehabilitation of Ahara Davis because 
and I, I've said it on numerous podcasts. I think O'Hara Davis is a great young man. Um, I've known I've known him on both sides of the fence. I've known him as an amateur fighting for recognition, and I, I know him now as a professional. And I think he's a great young man. I think the Taylor fight and all that went with it left a sour taste in the fans' mouth. And he had to come back this time with A, a performance that showed who O'Hara Davis is, but B, that external presence that said, you're going to get the good and the bad with me, not just the bad. So you had the press conference, you had the calling Tom Farrell a bum, saying he's going to get taken out. But what you had in the build-up to the fight was almost seeing the, the inner sanctum of O'Hara Davis. So you had a lot of pictures where it was O'Hara, Junior Saba, Junior Benjamin, Otu, however you want to know him. And you had Anthony Yard there. And then you had all the guys who had kind of come up together through the scene. And there was a quite a poignant photograph they had just before they probably headed out to the fight of, you know, just saying to me, we're ready. And though all of these sort of humanizing images you started to see of Ahara Davis, I'm not sure if it was accidental or if Matchroom have said, this is how we need to play it. But it was good to see that. I think just as an outsider, it was good to start to see that part of Ahara Davis again, saying, well, actually, do you know what? I'm just one of a group of guys who was just dreaming as a kid and here's where we are now. So that was, it was good to see that. And if you notice, post-fight, Tony Sims seemed to have a very strong word in O'Hara's ear, which was literally, no ad-libbing, mate, just stick to the script. <laughs> and, and, and O'Hara, like a good professional fighter, hit all the marks he had to hit in that, in that post-fight interview. So even if you're the most ardent anti-Davis fan, you're watching that fight going, not as bad as I thought he was. I like technically during that fight. I, I'm going to be honest. I'm not really a fan of watching Ahara Davis. He doesn't do a lot for me. He he's constantly switching between his his style. Like it, it's almost as if he hasn't worked out what suits him best to fight out of that kind of Philly half shell style in like a f- sort of faux Mayweather, or to go up with the peekaboo gloves and work like that. And I know maybe he's adapting during the fight, but it's almost. You know, he flicks out that long jab. He just does that quite often. He will kind of bend down and flick out the long jab. And he does it almost pot shine. That left hook that he throws, don't get me wrong, I don't want to be on the end of it because I'd imagine it's a very painful left hook. But he's so reliant on it. And, like, he swings it in. And, like, you know, Tom Farrell could read it. And I don't really know Tom Farrell aside from last night, but I can tell he's not at that level that Ahara Davis is at. Um, and Ahara Davis hasn't really shown that he's, you know, elite level by any means. But that left hook is so reliant upon. I just think, is it going to be a case? And I don't know. Let's see how far Hara Davis goes with his career, I suppose. Josh Taylor's going to go very far. I think we can all accept that. Quite how far Hara Davis goes, I don't know. But he needs to vary what he does to me. Um, just to me, he's a little bit of a flat track bully in that sense. That he beats up people that aren't as good as him. It's going to be interesting when he's in a 50-50 fight. Because that one last night was clearly well matched by whoever made that a match room. Pick somebody from Liverpool with a 13-14-0 record and put him in Vahara Davis knowing that he's not going to lose. Um, but there's a wider point about the match room relationship with the WBA, which we should discuss later on. But <laughs> I don't think it was a coincidence that Farrell was picked. In terms of Vahara Davis... I can, one of the things I don't think he works on is what we call situational awareness. And it's, it's, you'd have seen it on the YouTube clips where 
Marquez is rehearsing the punch that essentially knocked out Pacquiao. You see, and he's working on it repeatedly. Canelo does it a lot where they'll run through the same scenario. So they might have the opponent in the corner covered up and Canelo will go in, work however he needs to work. Coach will stop it, go right, go back in again, do it differently. And O'Hara Davis doesn't have that because in the second round, he should have finished off Tom Farrell. Yes. And they, they clearly haven't worked on, when you've got someone hurt, these are the shots you should throw. Because when I watch him, I go... Look at Anthony Yard when he has someone hurt. You get taken out. You're not, you're, you're not doing three extra rounds with Anthony Yard once you're hurt because they train that. They train those sequences, which are, right, you're going to throw the uppercut, you're going to step back, come back with a hook, a straight right, back into another uppercut, whichever way you want to do it. And I don't think they do that in the Sims gym where you break a fight down into crucial moments. What do you do when you're under pressure? What do you do when you've got the guy on his last legs? And that's what that's one of the things O'Hara is missing. And I think once he gets to that, the style will automatically sort of knit itself from all of that because he'll work out actually these are the things that work for me in pressure situations. Um, does intelligence uh, directly relate to a boxer's ability in terms of um, shot selection and understanding how he should be boxing? Um, and I, I guess I'm sort of using intelligence in the most t- traditional way of like, can you get into ring with someone? Well, can you, someone come in t- to train with you? Could you get two guys, one who seems perfectly intelligent and on the level and some guy who's an idiot, but the, the idiot could be a lot better in the ring in terms of his the, variation of his style and selection. The idiot's normally better in the ring. Right, okay. So I look at myself when I was coming up and I remember being sat down with Mick Carney, rest in peace, and he just sat there and he said, your problem, Terry, is you're too clever. <clears throat> just full stop. You're too clever. You go in there and you're trying to think too much. <laughs> so, and he's like, you don't have time to think. And that's why you find with a lot, a lot of good boxers. <laughs> Maybe I should hit him. Oh, actually, yeah. whack. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but, but, but sometimes it is. You're there and you're yeah. thinking, okay, how do I approach this? But boxing is really about execution. It, what you see on a Saturday night, there should be no thought. It should be right execute and all you're doing is applying what you know you're not thinking in there you're applying what you know at the super super elite level at the roy jones level where you have it so well drilled and nailed they're the handful of human beings that have time to pop their heads up and think what the hell's going on guys like james tony are the sort of people who can stop have a look at the crowd smile and crack on there's, that's a handful of people. Most people, it's just about execution. Go in there, do what you know. Do not get creative in there because that's when it starts to fall apart. Okay, that's interesting. Um, All, right. All right, you didn't have to be that dismissive. No, didn't, okay. Um, okay, that's, that's really interesting. Um, we'll, move, <laughs> <laughs> we'll move on. Dodd versus Stalker. <sighs> Tom Stalker. <laughs> do you know what? It's really weird. Tom Great Stalker. Fighter. Tom Stalker has been spoken about more after this fight as the loser of the fight than Sean Dodd, who's come out on top. It's really weird. like As if people were anticipating more out of Tom Stalker. Now, Tom Stalker, for those who don't know, goes by the name El Capitan. I'm sure you probably know it, because Sky told us about 4,000 fucking times on commentary last night. Former <laughs> GB captain. Um, yeah, like he's just... He's not 
lived up to the expectation that was built upon him when he turned professional. Uh, which, being the Olympic captain, you kind of have that um, that raised expectation, perhaps. But Sean Dodd is a brawler, and he's good at it. Uh, and he comes in, and people know Sean Dodd from the Scotty Cardle fights. Uh, but he's a bit of a character as well, Sean Dodd. He's a character out of the ring. He goes in, and it's not to dismiss him as a boxer. He's got some some okay boxing skills. If you had to like rank each of them, you know, stalker boxing skill wise is probably an eight, and Dodd maybe a six. But Dodd makes up for that that deficit in every other department through work rate, through power, through just being a tough little like uh, gets in, mauls his way through a fight. He was trying some lovely uppercuts that Stalker wasn't handling. Fair blade Stalker, what a chin on the man, and like he stuck in there when a lot of people probably wouldn't. Uh, in a fight that it was clear after maybe five rounds that he was really going to struggle to win. Um, it was quite enjoyable. I actually really enjoyed that fight. But um, yeah, it's. I think Tom Stalker is going to always be one of those kind of what if fighters, and I don't know what it is that's the magical thing that's missing from him. I think it's, it's maybe a little bit of power, maybe a little bit of spite and aggression. I, I don't know. He's got everything else about him, but lacks that something that would put him up there as a a, a very good domestic fighter. Tell boy. Oh, won't want a boy this time. <laughs> wow, that is like a person. That All wasn't right, even um, me being dismissive. Right, just ca- a- carry on then, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think I've seen a boxer at lightweight as slow as Sean Dodd in a long time. And that's no disrespect to him. You've got to give the man credit. There's nothing fast about what he does, but against people who can't punch what he's able to do is just keep shutting the space down. And when people ask the question, why is it that Tom Stalker looked good as an amateur and looked rubbish as a pro? The answer is simple. In the amateurs, people come in and out. So eventually Stalker would get his punching range so he could throw those flashing hooks and slashing right hands in the amateurs. But in the pros, people don't take as many backward steps. So all of a sudden, he's looking for that space he once had in the amateurs and finding that outside of the first three rounds, you don't have it. So when Dodd got that second wind, you know, I think in boxing terms, the second wind is basically when your body goes from burning glycogen to burning fat. Stalker at that point is like, this is probably two or three rounds more than I'm really comfortable with. I think Stalker, to be honest, is a, he's a three round guy. He's a guy that if the prize fighter was out now, <laughs> he would win and he'd win it numerous times. He'd be orderly. He'd be yeah. unified prize fighter champ. And he's got the same, he, he, he is the modern day orderly Harrison in the sense of, you know, he overachieved as an amateur, like Audley did. Like, if you go back to 1998 and ask anyone, would Audley win a gold medal? They'd have laughed at you. I think if you go back a few years and asked about Stalker, you'd have got the same response. But GB has this really unhealthy relationship with Liverpool because a lot of the coaches are from Liverpool clubs. So they tend to favour guys from Liverpool. And that's why Stalker was captain, essentially. It wasn't really that he was the best at his weight because that's debatable. Um, Carl Chapman asks, why do you think Stalker has struggled at pro level? And what can trainers do with their amateurs to prevent such things? You can't. <laughs> Tom Stalker's 33 years old. He's as good as he'll ever be physically. So what do you add? He he clearly knows the game of boxing, so there's not much you can do there. <sighs> you know, I, look, I, I know what I'd like to say at this point. And it's Don't probably not sensible it. to say. Whatever it is, you, you, if but, you're but, self-censoring, but, then it's definitely not worth saying. Yeah. 
So, <laughs> so, so Tom Stork is a guy that after the second defeat, you probably should have washed your hands of him and said, I think we need to focus elsewhere because if he's not going to get it right at this point, it's never going to come good. Because remember the Adam Smith commentary? And and it, it was like a lover pining for their ex, wasn't it? But he was so good as an amateur. Why is he not doing this now? And you're saying, well, boxing's a tough sport. The door opens for you. Either step through it or you don't. He hasn't stepped through it. You have to say, I love the Matthew Macklin. Uh, when they cut to Macklin, who's there as part of the MTK team, which is part of what Tom Stalker's there uh, under. And uh, they're asking Macklin, kind of, how's he getting on? It's probably at round, what, seven, eight. Uh, and Macklin was just brutally honest about it. He's like, he's not doing enough. He's losing. Like, he gave you know further colour to it than what I just have. But it's so rare that you actually cut somebody who's associated to the person that's in the ring fighting. And they give you that honest truth about how the fight's going and not trying to paint it. Um, I'm not used to seeing that on Sky. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a rarity. Um, but I really liked that of Macklin. I thought at least he uh, he knew that people were sensible enough to have a pair of eyes and see it themselves what was going on. And then didn't this guy commentate in the last round say Stalker needs a knockout? Yeah. But having told us that he's not really a knockout yeah. guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Craig of Fight Talk who actually asked how come that Stalker had managed to get himself into the position of GB captain um, because he's from Liverpool. Yeah, as, as you can't. Wasn't remember. Fowler captain for 2016? Yes, he was. Oh, it, he was good. It's he an, it's he an, sets an example. Wait a minute, I didn't see Fowler last night. Did you see him? I did. Jay Burney was fighting, wasn't he? Yes. I don't know how many punches Fowler missed with, but they're, they're <laughs> the things I remember the most. It's just how, how elegant the misses were. <laughs> but no, no, look, just to touch on Craig's point, when you have a camp for your national team that's based in Sheffield. You are advantaged by being within driving distance of there because you can show up regularly. The more often you show up, the better the relationship you have with people. So when you finally get selected for GB, you're already part of that system. So they have no qualms in making you captain. So if you're from like Manchester, Liverpool, Leeds, even Sheffield itself, you tend to get the breaks. It was the same when when the base was at Crystal Palace, you had a lot more London and Southeast based boxers because they could get there more often. That's really it. It's not down to ability. It's just whether you can play the politics. But then in reality, what difference does it make being captain of the boxing team? And in the same way that being captain of a football team doesn't mark you out as being the best out of those 11 people on the pitch. It's perhaps something to do with your personality or something to do with your drive Influence. and ambition, the way that you put an arm around people when the cameras aren't there. I don't know, something like that. But, those different things don't just being the best in a squad doesn't necessarily make you a, a good captain. But the captain showed up in 2012 and lost. Yeah, but in the same way that a captain may turn up on a football pitch and, and slip and lose a title. Liverpool, yeah. But no, but I think the point is like when uh, when 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 GB select a captain, what they're saying is you're the guy that sets the standard that everyone else has to follow. And even Tom Stalker admitted, I remember this in 2012, he was like, I haven't been good enough. I've let this whole team down with my performance today. When he got knocked out, he shouldn't have been. So it's all of these things. And also, I think the important thing is when you select a captain, you're, you're making a statement about your preferences because 
Let's look at that. You could have had Luke Campbell as captain because Campbell's been a hell of an amateur. Um, you could have had AJ being captain as a big man. You know, it's Martin Johnson, 97 for the Lions, that sort of thing. There were all sorts of options, which is what made Tom Stalker's choice somewhat strange. But yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll always look back and think, you know, in reality, what difference does it make? I'm not entirely sure. You know, is it a good thing to be captain or is it somebody that you can take you know, if you gave it to AJ, for instance, who went on and won gold, straight away you're heaping on additional pressure onto somebody that went on and did very well anyway. Like, if Stalker wasn't captain, would he have perhaps performed better than what he did with that that label, that tag? Don't know. We'll I think know. we do know. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I just It's an overhyped um, commodity, I think. Uh, Liverpool J asks, is Dodd improving? Hard to tell. I, I, he was put in front of someone who wasn't a threat, if that makes sense, in my eyes. I, I think if you're Sean Dodd and someone says you're fighting Tom Stalker, you're, you're like all day. I'll fight him any day. It's perfect for yeah. Dodd to go and do that because of, you know, as we say, Stalker is a very nice technical boxer. He's not going to put a dent in someone like Sean Dodd, who's just an incredibly tough, hard bastard. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's made for Sean Dodd. And again, I mean, Stalker, don't forget, is a uh, traditionally a Box Nation fighter. And Box Nation, aside from Bradley Skeet, they don't often send fighters onto Sky that actually do that well, really, do they? It's, uh, you know, they would have paid a decent amount. Hopefully they've paid Stalker a decent amount to go and take that fight. I just think he couldn't... Dodd looked at it and went, you can't fight on the inside. I'm happy with this. Your arms are too long. You don't like throwing those short chopping shots. So I'll take the inside all day, knowing that nothing's going to come back. So look, my thing for Tom Stalker, I say this to anyone in the sport, I hope he finds a niche in the sport where he is able to express the full extent of his talent and ability. Uh, British Boxing Blog uh, replied to Carl Chapman's question regards uh, why do you think Stalker has struggled at pro level? And he says, you can take on to this Stalker or Gavin discuss um frankie gavin different i think gavin gavin's almost the opposite of stalker gavin was so good and had it so easy all the way up the ladder that when he turned pro he assumed it would be just as easy and i don't think he ever put the hard graft in you looked at stalker stalker was in shape there's no you he did the 12 rounds with a degree of comfort yeah there's, I don't imagine Tom Stalker takes the sport lightly. I just don't think he's equipped to cope. Frankie Gavin is probably ill-equipped to cope as a pro and has probably the wrong mindset to be a pro. Right, just to go back slightly, uh, British Boxing Blog also asks, do you feel O'Hara Davis has learned anything since the Josh Taylor loss? Just watched last night's action and he seemed to do a lot of the same things just against the lower level opposition. Yeah, see, this is what I was thinking earlier or saying earlier about almost being like a bit of a flat track bully in that sense, in that he was doing the same things that he was doing to people on the way up. Um, But he didn't need to do any more than what he did last night against Tom Farrell. So we'll only really know the answer to that, I think, when he gets into a a 50-50 fight. And, you know, looking back at the Josh Taylor fight, that was never a 50-50 fight. It was a a 70-30 fight in favour of Taylor. But those roles have been reversed in almost every other Ahara Davis fight. Um, well, he's always gone in as a heavy favourite and rightly so, and he's proven that he's good enough to be so. What we need is that 50-50, and quite where that comes in, whether that's someone like a, a Tyrone Nurse, a Jack Cattrall, they're fighting for the British 
later on. I'd love to see Ahara Davis now concentrate on that British title route and that British title level, um, which I know is going to delight Terry to, uh, to consider British titles. But, you know, we don't know at the moment. We've got this whole plethora of fighters at that weight division knocking about who are fighting it out to see who's the best. And in the meantime, what's Sahara Davis going to be doing? Defending a WBA international title or something. It doesn't do a lot for me. I'd like he, to he might be ranked number one, though. <laughs> because, I mean, there's a lot of gaps at that number one yeah. position. Um, yeah. So, uh, no, I'd like to see him go back into that domestic mix and try and, um, you know, assert himself amongst the top ones. One of the things that makes a boxer great is when he defines himself. So you look at someone like Thomas Hearns. Hearns didn't bother trying to box on the inside because there's no value in that. O'Hara Davis is almost worth saying, look, I'm never going to be a counterpuncher. Doesn't make any sense. Therefore, let me be that guy that goes and attacks. I just attack, attack, attack. Keep it basic. One, twos. These clever left hooks and stuff are great, but O'Hara Davis could savage people just by throwing the one-two properly. There is no doubt he's a powerful man. Like... As long as he's connecting, which was the problem, obviously, with Josh Taylor, that he wasn't able to connect. Taylor's a highly skilled individual. But if he's connecting, anyone that he's connecting on will be in a lot of trouble. Um, Liverpool J, uh, just to go on to Stalker before we move on, who could hit the hardest, Stalker or Warrington? <laughs> it was maybe in reference to uh, yeah, Warrington... <laughs> Crikey, like, who wants to see this Josh Warrington, Dennis Kalen, whatever his name is, that's coming up? Ah, oh, feather like you do. <laughs> but give Warrington credit, though, because at least he's relentless with his. He is, to be fair, and he's... You've not really seen him have to take a backward step yet yeah. within his career. Um, he keeps ploughing forwards, and he's got that incredible engine on him. Incredible. Um, <laughs> in... Please, one week. One engine. week would be so nice. Who's he managed by? Oh, I've no idea, mate, I'm God. afraid. We'll, uh, no, what I'm saying, it's an incredible engine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, keeps going and going and going and going and going. I'd imagine. Do you know until... when I go camping, I use a generator. Generator's kind of like an engine. Oh, right. Is it? Like, yeah. Camping's quite good. <sighs> Tend to find them a couple of pounds heavier after I've been camping. But can, you, can we. Let's. let's... <laughs> Actually, quite a really subtle way for Terry as well. Normally, he's as subtle as a, a bus through a wall. But <laughs> <laughs> actually... I'm not. I'm not being wild today, <laughs> John. Um, <laughs> Carl Chapman asks a slight, slight digression before we move on to Butler Hall. Um, are boxers paid money just for holding a belt? Why do fighters seem to feel the need to have one year sabbatical once winning a belt? It's a good question, though, because I, I, I often wonder this. No, is you, there any sort of reward for having that no, belt? No, it's quite the opposite. You, you end up paying higher sanctioning fees. So next time you step into that ring. So there isn't a direct, like, say you pick up the WBA international belt next weekend. Because I know you've got a big fight coming up. If you yeah. pick that up, you're going to get the purse money out of it. But then after that, it's not like you start getting paid on a weekly basis by the WBA to hold their international title. But there may be some indirect benefits. So if you can start to find more sponsorship out of being the WBA international title holder, say, then that's one. Um, but you, no, will some of those sponsorships, you think, be um, terminated if you lose that belt, say? There might be some clauses like that. Um, but most sponsorships for boxers come from local businesses in some way, scaffolding or something like that. 
so they're unlikely to have kind of performance related um, payments in them but no you don't get paid by the sanctioning body the opposite in fact that when you come to them fight for that belt probably the reason you've got to take a year off is that you've got to save up the money to pay the fucking WBA the sanctioning fee to defend that WBA international title so it kind of making sense to me now why we have so many bodies because basically if you can get recognition for a belt or basically if you can make your um sanctioning body credible then you're just a money hoover Mate, aren't you i found something the other day terry you know you're wise within boxing have you ever heard of the legends boxing federation lbf i i, I saw something you might have reposted it was me <laughs> Right, so there's this Legends Boxing Federation that I believe has been set up by somebody, I may not be right about this, somebody that was involved in the IBF right at the beginning of the IBF, perhaps. So they've set up, and this is how you see these new sanction bodies turn up every week and then disappear like a fortnight later. Well, the LBF is a new one, and they publish their sanctioning fees. And I worked it out, I sat and did the uh, the maths around this as to what it would cost to sanction a vacant heavyweight title for the LBF. So this includes getting the belt at the end of the fight, the judges, all this stuff. Like, not including the ring or the venue, just to sanction the fight and get the belt. $11,000. From the LBF. (laughs) The LBF. Sounds like a fucking London TV channel. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but you do get to be the LBF heavyweight champion of the world. Of the world! Hashtag and the new. And the new. $11,000 to sanction a heavyweight title for the LBF. So if you think that's what they're charging, Uh. imagine what some of the sanctioning fees, and you can probably find them online somewhere, but imagine what they'll be for, you know, a real sanctioning body. (laughs) That's what irritates me. Well, hold off because Sam Khan's got that question about the IBF, (laughs) which is a very interesting... I think there's probably an interesting an organisation as you can find in boxing. Um, okay, before I get to that question, how many knockdowns are allowed before a fight is required to stop is Sam Khan's other question. That is an interesting question because as we, I replied to this message the other day, <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's, if you're knocked down twice around... When you get to... It gets to the point where it's impossible to win, effectively. Well, all right. Well, you can stop. Magical punch, yeah. But. So you're allowed... So normally the rules are agreed well in advance, but generally in title fights, for example, the three knockdown rule is waived. So you could probably get knocked down three or four times, but normally, realistically, the ref will, the ref will use his discretion, but there is no automatic it's three infinite. knockdown. So, yeah. like... <laughs> You could just keep taking a knee throughout the entire fight. Who was it, Martin Murray? Do you remember Martin Murray fighting up in Leeds when he went up to super middleweight, I think, for his first fight? And there was a guy that just kept taking a knee. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. Relentless. He was relentless in it. He must have gone down about six... Honestly, he looked like a prostitute. He just kept going down in front of Martin Murray. And it was quite embarrassing. But, like, yeah, so if you had a really close fight, if it were nip and tuck, and each of you were getting knocked down twice each per round, like, brilliant. You could get to the end of the fight, and you've yeah, each been down true, as yeah. many times you want, but there's no set rule around, like, you've hit the 10th one, get out of here. Um, but again, that's where the referee needs to be stepping in, taking a look, and that Tom Farrell one from Saturday night is a prime example of where the the consideration for the safety of the fighter wasn't as prevalent as it should have been. So, so if... 
if two fighters, right, let's say, like you say, the, the three knockdown rule gets waived, and in a round, one fighter gets knocked down twice, and the other fighter gets knocked down three times, does that mean one of them's going to get ten points for that round? <laughs> Surely that should be like a 7-6 round or something. It probably would be, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. You could do that. You don't have to give someone 10 points. Rough the both of the knockdown. It'd be almost... You, you couldn't do that. <laughs> you well, might have been one all. He gets 10 because obviously he, he got knocked down less. But that guy got knocked down three times. We get a six. That doesn't seem fair. Um, okay, yeah. So Sam's question relating to the IBF. She goes on... What happened to the IBF that they are such sticklers with their rankings and ensuring belt holders fight in the right order? That that can be seen with um, the mandatories that made Tyson relinquish his IBF and stuff like that, right? Uh, Crawford, um, Kelbrook having to fight Errol Spence. Why were they investigated? Why have other federations been able to get away with not following their own rankings, inserting fighters for unearned and less than appealing matchups, i.e. <laughs> Paul Smith Jr.? So, so, look, the IBF are an example of why the hell you'd never have a sanctioning body in the United States. Because the United States take stuff like sport really seriously, unlike other nations that might be a few degrees latitude south, perhaps. <laughs> so, so the IBF's an interesting organization. Um, back. Was set up by a guy called, I want to say Bob Lee Sr., who himself is an interesting character so he wanted to take over the wba in the 70s and the wba gave him a massive middle finger so him and the head of the new jersey sanctioning body who was jersey joe walcott set up the ibf in the early 80s and the ibf was supposed to be the the fairer ranking body the fairer sanctioning body but I think it was 1999, they were investigated for basically taking payments for making fights happen. And it all came about from a lawsuit. I think it's Michael, was it Michael Mora who sued? Because Mora was meant to fight George Foreman for the world heavyweight title. Foreman, being the age he was in the mid-90s, realized, you know, Michael Mora is probably not the guy you want to be fighting at that age. So instead, Axel Schultz goes from like nowhere <laughs> to being mandatory for George Foreman. And so <laughs> Michael Moore quite rightly goes, I'm going to sue. And so now there's no justification for this other than to go, well, we receive money. And I'm not, put, I'm not libeling anyone by saying this. Bob Aram has admitted he paid the IBF $100,000 to have Axel Schultz as number one. George Foreman also so Aram doesn't know that Foreman's already paid a quarter of a million to the IBF so that he doesn't have to fight Michael Mora and I, the IBF have said we'll take care of that so basically Schultz gets the shot loses to George Foreman bit of controversy in the result so now Schultz wants a rematch and realizes now he's got to pay for the rematch and the man behind Schultz was if anyone can guess Don King. No, it was Wilfred Sowland who paid the hundred grand for the rematch. Apologies, Don King. <laughs> but but <laughs> but you're definitely a listener. Don King and the IBF go back a long way. There was an operation called Crown Royal 
in the early 80s. And it was basically links between the mob and boxing. So, whoa, 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 this unheard of. <laughs> not having this. Boxing being dodgy. So, mm. so essentially the, the FBI wanted to, well, they're looking into organised crime anyway. If they could link it to boxing, they could double up the number of arrests. So the man in their sights was obviously Don King, who they established was connected to the Genovese crime family. No way. Don King's claims a whistle, man. So, 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 this is, so this is how serious it is. Larry Holmes purges himself because he doesn't want his hands broken by the mafia. <laughs> he purges himself by saying Don King's a fair, upstanding man. Everyone basically questioned by the FBI plays ball. And so what they've now realised is Don King is just giving money to the IBF and saying, put this guy here, put this guy there. But he legitimised them by basically letting Larry Holmes be their first heavyweight champion, which is what legitimised the IBF in the 80s. But, but well, I guess the problem you have essentially is that 1999 investigation revealed how dirty they were. They've been taking bribes since God knows when. So even though Robert Lee was found not guilty, the court supervised the IBF for so long and said, all right, we're going to hold you to your own rules. So now the IBF are essentially held to their own rules which is why every so often they force mandatories. That doesn't mean to say that the rankings can't be nobbled, which they pro uh, allegedly probably still are. <laughs> you, can still, you can still petition the IBF to get things that you want to happen. There's no question about that. But that's just life. Do you, like, that's I no don't necessarily too. think that's a bad thing. No. Well, no, no if, you've got, yeah, if you've got 20 grand, you can get Andy White ranked in the top 15. As long as he's fought probably a few Probably less Latvian. than that, to be honest, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Probably but, just but, ask the question. But, but the problem is, so the IBF get annoyed because they're being held to an artificial standard. Now, the WBA, for example, don't have any of these requirements because they're not based in the United States. So it's wholly irrelevant for them. So what ends up happening is, with the IBF is they will go wherever the money is. And I think you're noticing this now. Unlike every other sanctioning body. Well, no, but if you look at the WBA, Not the LBF, <laughs> eleven grand, mate. Yeah. So if you look at the if you look at the WBA, when when American boxing was really lucrative, they were just throwing their belt at people and say, "Look, hold our belt, fight in Vegas, make us rich." That American money is drying up, as we can see in the purses, but it's booming in the UK. So you, you imagine someone's agreed to a payment plan somewhere and we're now seeing a lot of UK boxers from whichever stable you choose to identify fighting for WBA titles of various descriptions and that is not a coincidence in the same way that if you look at the WBO there's no coincidence about who's fighting there if you look through the WBA rankings at present there's very few number one spots taken up in any weight division so you have a champion, being the WABA, you probably have a super champion and a regular champion and an interim champion as well. But um, you then have the number one, number two, number three spots and a lot of those number one spots across all the weight divisions are empty. So what does that mean? Like, why is it, how can you rank two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, but you're unable to fill number one? <laughs> Like someone explain that to me how that's the case. It's perhaps not and not being factual, one. perhaps something's for for purchase. Hypothetically, perhaps you could say that somebody would pay the highest amount who's currently sat between two and fifteen and would be able to move into that number one spot. Perhaps. Nah, nah, nah just uh, it just, just doesn't sound like boxing to me, mate. 
Because one of the things I found straight really, as they come, this sport. One of the things I found really interesting was if you look at the Crown Royal investigation, one of the guys they were trying to nail was a guy called, I think it's Gia Keddy. He was Larry Holmes's trainer, and he was. Ah, look, if he if he's even alive to sue me, whatever. He was as dirty as they come. <laughs> what was his name? Ah, uh, G G I A C H E W T I. He was Larry Holmes's trainer, and you know, once this Crown Royal thing comes out, and his name gets dirty. Don King washes his hands of him temporarily. Don King washed his hands of someone. <laughs> yeah, and then Tyson. he shows up as Tyson's trainer after King's basically got rid of all the people that were good for Mike Tyson, and he gets this guy in, and he goes you know the normal arrangement because, and we'll, we'll, we'll touch on a similar structure as, a, as the questions come in, but you had a position where Larry Holmes was paying 25% to Don King as promoter, 12.5% of his purse to Don King's stepson as manager, and then 12.5% to this guy Gia Keddy as his trainer, but nominally his manager too. So 50% of the Holmes purse just went off the top, which is unheard. It's ridiculous. If you, if you said that to a boxer now, they'd tell you you were crazy. But what, what, what does that mean? It basically means that Larry Holmes, for him to stay world champion and to keep fighting the guys he did, that's what he had to do. Um, GK, he's dead, by the way, so you can okay. say what you want about him. And then look, Don King was notorious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Either, no, I've given you even more license now. It just gets no, but, no, worse. No. But, but all of this stuff, like Don King was notorious for, for, you know, making up records. This is another thing the IBF were accused of, just making up records of, of fighters and saying, yeah, this guy fought 52 times in the middle of nowhere. Um, you know, it, it's, it's embarrassing. Was it the WBA who had... They had the, the, the dead guy, didn't they? Yeah, one of them had a dead guy in their rankings. And not only was he a dead guy in their rankings, he managed to move up the next month. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, it's fair enough. Maybe you died and you just didn't get round to the admin of taking him out. But then... To move him to up. To move well, up a place. <laughs> now, do you remember the justification? Oh, I don't know if it was a WBA for a record. I, I remember that there was a justification. It was like... We have to keep on top of hundreds of fighters. How are we supposed to know if anyone's died? And it's like, well, what are the odds of all of them dying in any given month? I love that. Oh, I, uh, listen, John, I, I'm, I'm worried about my uh, progression. Why is that? Well, there's a dead guy that's actually higher than me in the, in the rankings. <laughs> okay, I guess good, good time to move on to Butler versus Hall after our little digression. I didn't watch it. I, I, I refuse to watch care, it. If I'm honest, uh, there was Bradis versus Perez over on ITV, so I watched that instead. Because I, so who won? Uh, Paul Butler won, so it puts him in a position where he will fight the winner of Jamie McDonald versus Solis when they fight over in Monaco. Okay, Liverpool J asks who's going to win that Butler versus one of those two. Uh, you'd imagine McDonald. Hearn likes Caldwell, so you'd imagine he'd win. Boxing logic. <laughs> um, aside from that, though, there's nothing to report. No, we didn't see it. I didn't see it. I don't. We don't care. It's not no. a fight. The interest. It was. It was a rematch that I would imagine nobody in boxing had asked for. Like there was nobody calling out <laughs> the fight you haven't asked for. The fight you didn't want to see. <laughs> there was nobody calling out for Stewie Hall versus Paul Butler two the revenge. 
it was just it was a fight that's happened. Paul Butler's turned up from Frank Warren. He signed up with Joe Gallagher. They bring him in against Stewie Hall, who let's be honest, Stewie Hall's best days are behind him. Um, and it was an easy fight to make for Butler to get into that position to fight for a world title. That's that's the purpose that this fight served. Okay, well then let's move on from here on to the World Boxing Super Series and Bradis versus Perez. Did oh, you see, did you see it, Terry? I saw bits of it, but it, it was, was so boring, terrible. In what respect? I had big hopes for this. Right, you've got Mike Perez coming down from heavyweight. He's now looking incredibly trim, incredibly. <laughs> um, had had a good summer apparently. Had a great summer. Been Did out, he go camping? Been away. Been away go camping? Like, what? Maybe, I wonder if he went camping or just hiking in the woods. You know the usual. He went away for like twenty four months or something, and then yeah. came back and was trim just, as they come. But yeah. that's cool. Uh, apart from this fight, Atkins. was terrible. Like Bradis um, is seen as being one of the top sort of you know potential uh, fights for Usyk. You know, a challenger to Usyk in winning this. Um, it didn't help Perez being a southpaw. It just it didn't mesh whatsoever. It didn't gel. Every single time they threw a punch between the two of them, they would both step in and then hold. And then eventually the referee the referee was a shambles as well. Um, just he'd completely lost control to the point right. Nothing highlighted it more than when the final bell went, and they were still fighting about ten seconds later. And like, fair enough, they may not have heard the bell because the Latvian crowd were quite um, vociferous. They were really going for it and that looked quite good. But the referee just like hadn't really done anything to tell them to stop. <laughs> and so they were still going. But it was just a horrible, horrible fight. Like There was nothing of any interest about this whatsoever. Um, I actually thought Perez looked technically... You know, we know technically he's going to be very good. He's the Cuban... He's got a brilliant background, brilliant grounding. Um, but for someone who's coming down from heavyweight and who looks so stacked, you would think he would carry some kind of power. Didn't seem to be any of that in there. Bradis landed maybe four or five clean shots. It showed that Mike Perez has still got a chin on him, um, which I think there were doubts of previously after Povetkin um, wiped him out. But, you know, there's plenty of question marks over that. Um but yeah, like it was just, it was a horrible fight. Horrible. Jamie Ingleby says, unfortunately, Perez clearly not the fight he once was since tragic Abdu Salamov bout. Yep. Uh, never seen Bradis before. He. <laughs> Is, uh, nice. That's it. There yeah, you go. That's a, that's a military communication. You should understand all of that. Yeah, no, I should really. There's probably a second part to that. Yeah, that which I've missing. clicked on, but it's, it's uh, gone. But, 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 well, anyway, yeah, okay. I think we get the, the picture. But yeah, that that was a tragedy, and I don't even think Abdul Salamov has fully recovered yet. No, he's not. And you know that's that's the part of that's the dark side of boxing. You know, Perez goes in there, fights his heart out, you know, like he's supposed to. I can't even remember what the result of the fight was. Perez won, won. Perez on, a, won. on a, like a majority decision or something. And then Abdul Salamov had to go to hospital, gets induced in a coma, and I think it's been pretty much that way since. He's showing more signs of life than he was in the beginning, but. You imagine that has an effect on someone. And I think one of the things I've heard said about Perez is he's quite an emotional guy, which is why he's quite hard to reach sometimes. And this is from guys who have trained him. So he's quite an emotional guy. So that would have really got to him. And maybe he's just never got over that. And so he's frightened to let his hands go the way that he used to. But don't know, only he knows the answer to that. 
Actually, to finish that <clears throat> Jamie Ingleby uh, tweet, he then went on to say, he ain't troubling Usyk. I mean, based on last night, he like Usyk would just sit and laugh at that, you'd suspect, because there was nothing in it that made you think... Because as much as you can blame both fighters, the fact is that Bradis couldn't find an answer to how to um, separate himself from... Um, from Perez when they came in close and actually it was Bradis that ended up getting a point taken off for holding was it the refs um, what, how good was this ref in this fight just atrocious just atrocious like there was so much holding going on yet he didn't warn Bradis not to hold anymore just took a point off him <laughs> like just out of the blue took a point off him now it's fair enough that he did that but he didn't give him the warning that he meant to give prior to doing so um, and so after doing that, they then continued to hold each other for the rest of the fight anyway, and he did nothing subsequently to that. Like, just chuck them both out. It was terrible. <laughs> I'd love to see, what would the World Boxing Super Series do then? Because, like, they've come up with all these rules of, like, if it's a draw over 12 rounds, they've got a fourth judge, and if he's got it a draw, then they do a count back through the rounds, blah, blah, blah. What do you do if both fighters get, like, chucked out for just giving us Don't you put the substitute in? Didn't they fight last week? What's the substitute? Yeah, they've got a substitute. Uh, I can't remember remember his name, but he fought last week. Uh, It's Feigenberts for the super middles, but I can't remember who it is for uh, for the cruisers. Um, Question on judging. This is from uh, me. When we talked about um, the three judges and and the, the problems that have come from it, I have a question in as much as why can't you have, similar to the way that other sports are moving on with their TV cameras and that, why can't you have a fourth judge who watches via camera? Why can't you have, say, I don't know, five judges and take, if you add sort of like seven judges and then... Or, or, why do uh, you have 38, 39 no, what judges? I mean, what I'm saying is like when, when you look at some other sports, they have... Uh, a load of judges and they cut off the two extreme ends of that and just use the so if you had five judges and took out the you most take the extreme, outliers out yeah they, that's what I mean no yeah. I get that but you're regressing it then back to the point where you know in the amateurs they took out the pointed scoring system of like hitting a button every time like why increase the number of potential idiots to score a fight like I don't see increasing the numbers as the answer I don't know what the answer is I think video's fine but then you, you stand by the fact that sitting and watching a fight at ringside is the best way to see a fight. There is no other way. If you're watching it on a video, you're only seeing what angle Sky have chosen for you to see that fight from or ITV have chosen for you to see that fight from. You're not seeing everything. And, you know, at ringside, you're not seeing everything, but you've got three people that hopefully can see everything between them um, and score it from their individual perspectives. Doing it off of a TV camera, you don't see half the time. You don't see the footwork. You just see the upper half of the fighters. Yeah, which another thing actually, when I was watching uh, YouTube of the week, what I actually liked was they must have had a camera on those, you know, those hovering cameras on the, on yeah. the rails or whatever across the rope. And the- yeah, and I actually it hovered. The fight started. It hovered above, and I thought that is a really awesome camera angle. I can see everything. And then straight away, it defaulted to the bloke on the side of the canvas. I'm like, I don't <laughs> like this angle. I like seeing it from but above. We paid 30 grand for this. We've got to use it once. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, I was talking to I was talking to a friend of mine who competed in the Olympia. So the Olympia is basically this massive bodybuilding contest that happens in the States. And we're talking about 
who won, who deserved to win and stuff. And one of the things she said I found really interesting was a physique looks different in the flesh than it does in pictures. Like you, there's almost like this, this mythical dimension to it. Like that whole being there in person, actually seeing what you're seeing in front of you, as opposed to being slightly detached. So I can understand why people at home will tell you this is how a fight went. Like we've all done it, but ringside with all the noise happening you being able to hear the punches sometimes you can hear the noises the fighters are making you get that sort of that, that, that hd view of boxing and because of that you have more inputs to process than someone watching it at home who's normally got the commentary on as well so you're you're being guided in a certain way by the commentary as well and I think people often forget that part of it. Like ju- judging is complex because we assume it's just about what you see, but it's really about what you take in and assessing that. It's what you process. Yeah. Okay. So a resounding no. Can you? Uh, all right. So, so having on the basis you have three judges, so that's so you can ha- you can cover three of the three of the sides of the ring basically. So there's no there's no way you could have five judges and again take out the outliers. You don't think there's even I don't see the point. Yeah. You'd end up in the same place where you'd be criticizing yeah, yeah. the judges. You just criticize more of them. <laughs> oh, yeah, because I suppose it could still be a draw. You're it? better off just having one. Five draws. You're like, <laughs> we need more judges. <laughs> so if there's one thing we can all agree on, it's that you know Obviously, the judging is is something that everyone now sort of has an opinion on. But one thing we can all agree on is that commentary is in boxing is terrible, um, and it it needs a good overhaul. <laughs> Fresh blood. <laughs> so, Martin, do us the honours of uh, introducing. You know what could be what what could the be future the future of boxing? Of... Boxing commentary. You're not even drum rolling me. No, so this weekend coming, uh, we're going to be down doing the MTK show at Brentwood uh, Centre in Essex. The three of us providing live commentary on the feed. So a lot of you might have seen IFL videos where they're showing now at the beginning of the video um, that they're using their platform to uh, to broadcast this show from MTK out of the Brentwood Centre in Essex. Um and yeah, so us three are going down there to go and take up the commentary position for the evening uh, and add our uh, our unique flavour to what will be, uh, you know... A good night of boxing. Uh, yeah. So if you've ever desired to hear a commentator mispronounce a fighter's name, <laughs> if, you've, oh, no. if you've ever been gagging for a commentator to just ask another commentator basic information about boxing... I am going to be Why there in MC- the flesh. MTK needed to run all the names of like any opponents via us to make sure that Andy can understand what their name yeah. is. Abada, because- Abada- well, we're calling Smith. <laughs> <laughs> so look, there's, um, I think, a few lads that I know who are fighting on this. We've got Adrian Martin, Mark Little. Um, yeah, I can do them ones. Taylin Jones on there, good talent. We discussed him potentially fighting Linus Shidofi the other week. Um, there's some real good talents on down there. It's being broadcast live on the IFL platform and it's going to be us three providing the noise for uh, for the listeners' ears for the evening. Terry will be discussing all kinds of ranges that might be used, stance length. Terry Woodall is going to turn into... <laughs> we've slated Richie Woodall for so long. 
Literally, if, if I any can't of wait us, for him to start slating I us. Know. I'm going to follow his Twitter feed if, that night and if, just see him. If any of us, or moreover, you two fall into any of the tropes that you've criticised over the years, you're going to get slated. You Do you know, know what? I'm watching old Jesse Ventura WWE commentary. <laughs> just to know. That's the way I'm going with this. I'm going Jim Ross. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, look, get on IFL Saturday night. You'll hear us three providing the commentary. Um, and yeah, like interact with us during the night. We'll uh, we'll have the social media going as well. It'll be good fun. Right. So that's commentary covered. Uh, that's our first step into that. So that's the first thing no one's ever asked us to do. <laughs> and now we've somehow and ended up for the second. Uh, <laughs> live show. Live show. Yeah. Literally, no one has ever ever asked us to do this. Nah. But we've decided to. If Hearn can go to the US, we can go live. We've decided, what is it people really need? <laughs> There's uh, loads of people providing stuff in boxing that you don't need. So we're just adding to that sort of, you know. Should we add some like reasoning context behind this? Okay, so essentially, uh, we talked about it a little while ago, um, about the possibility of doing a live show. It's just something that interested us, something we wanted to get involved with um and it's purely as we've always stated from the start this podcast started and has continued to be a hobby for us essentially um we're continually blown away by the amount of support amount of um positive comments that come through and the amount of list the 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 growing ever growing listenership um which we are eternally grateful for as well as it just absolutely awesome so we thought you know to take it one step further we'll take it to a theatre in London where actually it tends to be that statistically we've got most of our listeners in London um, so it makes sense so, to put it there in a no let me, let me just let me clarify something when I said theatre <laughs> I meant an airing cupboard with some seats in it we aren't kicking the Lion King out for the evening <laughs> yeah. Uh... yeah we're not deluded so um, let's add a little bit around it right so the idea is um, well, I don't really know to be honest. Oh, no, 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 the, do you know what? The three uh, of us sit down in a theatre. Has to be just can- we've got to be candid about this. You know what? No, I, I think I think the easiest way to put it is this. All right, we we hide a lot of stuff behind the microphone. <laughs> we do edit rooms, all this sort of stuff. We hide behind what we need to do. And you guys are like, you must be thinking this. Let's see what these guys can do face to face. Right? Let's see. They can't hide no tricks. No, let's just see if they really know the stuff they do, or if they're going to do a fear on on us, <laughs> which we're not going to do. So it will fair, literally there's be a lot of in jokes we have, and we have to cut them, and I have to take them out and use guys. And this will this stuff. this will not be cut. Everything goes in jokes yeah. about stuff we've just discussed. So let, <laughs> let me lay out right. When just to clarify for anyone thinking this, we're not doing this for money. Yeah, definitely. Because we're probably going to spend more. But it's not free. <laughs> yeah. So we're probably going to do tickets somewhere between five and ten pounds. We haven't really worked out yet. We know the cost of the theatre and we're basically going to try and cover the cost of the theatre if all of the tickets sold um, plus our travel. I don't know really. Yeah, we haven't really worked yeah. out these details. But it's going to be on December the 18th in Camden um, in a small little theatre. So it's the day after. It's on a Monday. It's the day after Hay versus Bellew. So what we'll probably end up doing is not doing a podcast on that Sunday and just saving all of our material to go down to London on the Monday and 
just do a pod, like essentially do a normal podcast and hopefully, well, basically it's either going to be us just doing a normal podcast with just us three in a room because nobody bothers to come along, which is absolutely fine. We will pipe audio in, do not worry. (laughs) And I appreciate maybe we're miles off. Um, or hopefully yeah. we'll get a few people come down and we'll have a bit of a laugh a little bit before Christmas people can get it as an early it's a very Christmas. hard one to gauge really because not all of our listeners are going to be on Twitter which is the primary source of our feedback yeah. so if you ask the question on Twitter people might say yes they're interested and then and then they don't turn up so, it's, it's very difficult to gauge where that appetite is so we've, so we've taken a punt basically. we're handing out flyers at Goodwin shows <laughs> so Straight. we've decided we'll throw in a a few hundred quid between us get a room if anyone wants to come along pay a few quid each no more than a tenner certainly won't be any more than a tenner oh, definitely not, come no. and get together just before Christmas we'll have some boxing chat we'll do the podcast instead of doing listener questions we'll just do it's like nice. an open forum like, yeah. let's all just get involved about anything in ha- fact have a few beers and then we'll go for a few beers afterwards and then well. listen listen I will bring the Italian brandy <laughs> the remnants are still there like you need to be there just to the see infamous. that i tell you what you will have to have a shot of italian brandy every time you swear jeepers or mention <laughs> canines <laughs> so oh. yeah that's the long and short bit so we might be miles off oh, in yeah. terms of our thinking behind this in which case each of us has, has lost a little bit of money or we might cover our costs and all the seats get filled and we sit and have a cracking time one Monday night in a theatre in London. Like, let's see how it goes. It could be a good laugh. On that basis, there will be a limited supply of tickets. It's not gonna be it's <laughs> not gonna be the Albert Hall. As I say, yeah, we aren't we aren't kicking the Lion King out. We are gonna sort our tickets, they're gonna go through a website, StubHub, uh you'll get <laughs> They'll all be five times the face value that we set up. Yeah, they've already sold out. They've already sold out. <laughs> or or AXS. AXS, iBoxing tickets, you know. No, no, they have to go through the... Via Gogo. They have to go through the uh, the individual theatre website. So I'll be sorting that out this week when we uh, when we get some bits. So hopefully this time next week we'll get something uh, out and available to people. But give us your feedback on Twitter before we, you know, pay the deposit. And all other, so- <laughs> and all other social media channels. Yeah, let us know what you think. Um, yeah, and then we'll await the potential response from the ticket purchases, I guess. <laughs> when there's four people in the audience about who just go out for a beer. How do the GoFundMe <laughs> go for Leon McKenzie and Chilorenda? Yeah, right. People piss me off. People want like, oh, I really want to see Leon McKenzie versus Chilorenda. So I put together this GoFundMe page. The idea being you raise a thousand pounds between all the boxing fans in the world who want to see this fight, raise a thousand pounds, and that money will then get distributed five hundred quid to Leon McKenzie, five hundred quid to Cello Renda, and at that point the footage can be released. The footage is available. So this would be a really good thing to add some money to the pockets of those two guys who gave their all that night. And like between the boxing fans that, you know, all these people that were tweeting Leon, tweeting Cello, tweeting Steve Goodwin saying, oh, I really need to see it. It's raised like 235 quid. A large amount of which from the man Shaz, like big shout out to Shaz for dipping into his own pocket for that. Um, but yeah, all these people that are like, oh, I really need to see it. And it's raised like 235 quid. Of- but, but here's the thing we've always said on this podcast. And this is why, you know when fans go, why are boxers such assholes? Because boxers figure this out before anyone else does. Everyone wants to do something. Everyone wants to see something. Everyone wants to be involved until it comes time to pay. And then, 
actually, do you know what? I'll tell you what we'll enjoy about the live show, yeah? Is how, how no one will be allowed to get distracted when there's an audience watching. <laughs> well, when Andy starts finding new questions on his phone. Um, <laughs> See, there'll, yeah, there'll be no phones. Yeah, there'll I, be no audience. That's why. <laughs> That'll be the only interaction we do have. I'll be reading out questions I, from Twitter on my phone whilst you two em- answer them to me in I, an empty... St- I just want to clarify as well, like, for anyone that may have the misconception of this, this isn't to stroke our own ego. Because, like, we've all got egos that are big enough already. We don't need to do that. <laughs> it's purely, like, a week before Christmas, let's all get together, have some boxing chat in a room. After Hey Bell You, let's get the live, like, reaction and feedback... Have a few beers and have a bit of a laugh. I think it'd be good fun. Yeah, do not because expect anything remotely professional. No. Because remember, this will be the one chance, yeah, that all you guys get to be on. Yeah. And we're not going to record it either. Like, it's not getting recorded. Like, well, it might be. I don't know. Well, it might be. If it's just the three of us in a room, it will be recorded. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'm considering taking the ability for us to do that. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, okay. So, that being said, they're the two announcements. How do you feel? Get in touch. Let us know. And we move on. Craig at Fight Talk asks, will we ever see the release of the YouTube pay-per-view numbers and where does this actually leave Mick Hennessy? Obviously, this is in reference to Parker Fury. Uh, Yeah, Martin. Friend of a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend has given me... That's, that could be anyone in the world. Could be anyone in the world at that point. Yeah. Um, who's the guy that's like six steps removed and everybody's like linked to them? That's what they say, don't they? Yeah. George the Fifth. Six. Uh, is it like Kevin Bacon? Hulk like Hogan. six steps to Kevin Bacon. <laughs> oh, so, yeah, yeah, so yeah. Kevin Bacon gave me these numbers. Don't get sued. <laughs> <laughs> but Not that Kevin friend. Bacon. No, no, there's plenty of Kevin Bacons out there. No, from what I've heard, allegedly, 6,000. 6,000 buys. Now, I can't verify that. I can't say that's true. I can't is that UK false. only or total? Uh, I believe UK only. Um, now, Do you know what? That's like, that's like Eurovision. You know when you get the shit numbers that you just sat there hoping for some better scores? <laughs> <laughs> no, because I don't want Eurovision. Pardon my um, language. Sorry. So, yeah. Look, I don't know if that's accurate. I don't know if it's miles off. Whatever. I hope it's better than that for the Fury's sake, for Hennessy's sake. Where does it leave, Mick? I mean, crikey, that's that's shockers. I mean, if you said all of them paid fifteen quid, if you said all of them paid the fifteen quid, that's ninety thousand pounds that's come in. Like, that's don't a- forget, <laughs> <laughs> Joseph Parker was on a one point nine million pound purse to come over. Like, that's a well, lot the sanctioning of- fee and a share of the upside. Share of the upside, eight pound thirty. The, the, uh, the sanctioning fee for the belt must be more than that. Well, probably. So look. I hope those numbers are inaccurate. I don't think we'll ever see the official ones. Um, but look, if that is the case, then that is a disaster. Like, let's be brutally honest about it. And nobody, I don't think anyone wanted it to be a disaster. Some people may not like the Furies, I get that. But look, this is a new potential way of, of broadcasting boxing. Um, but it's not going to go very far if that's what the outcome is. Okay. Um... Dan Glozier asks, is British boxing hurt by a lack of intelligence? I feel Umar will get success not only for his skill, but his intelligence also. Um, <clears throat> we, we, I think we've discussed this numerous times. In the boxing world, Umar's an outlier. Um, but because of that, and because of his background, there's a lot of thought that goes into what he does, which is good. There, there, there's an overarching objective and the boxing ties in neatly to that. 
And if he sees some success, not being a certain way, but by being himself, which I think he's trying to be, well, he's not trying, he's succeeding at it. Then we might see other boxers trying to be themselves too. And I think that's what boxing needs. It needs people just being themselves. Yeah. If you're legitimately horrible, like a Sonny Liston type character, that we don't mind. It's when you try and pretend to be something you're not, then we do because, you know, it's like the whole wisdom of the crowd thing. We can't all be idiots. Yeah, I feel, I, I feel like you're either this feeling that you're either media trained or you're not, you're either a zombie who just talks in cliches or you're someone rough and gets themselves in trouble all the time. If you have the intelligence as a boxer to take on the media training to a point of understanding what you should and shouldn't say, but being able to refine that to also use your personality in combination with that, you will come across, you'll be so much more successful because your personality will come through, you know? As, and, and that's what people want to hit that. People want to attach to engaging and interesting personalities. That gets snuffled by media training or you're an idiot who constantly gets themselves in trouble. The problem with media training is media training stops you from being the idiot while turning you into a zombie. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But, but, but if you weren't the idiot in the first place, it turns you into a zombie. What you really want, actually, is... And I've been on these media training courses before, and they're fucking useless. Pardon, sorry, I've sworn again. Ah, But they're, they're, they're utterly useless. Shot of brandy. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll put those in the bank. <laughs> but, but it's right, like, before we start the live uh, show, Terry, 15 shots of brandy. I, I might just walk in with the bottle, just swinging like Steve Bunce on Fighting what Talk many years those, ago. One of those hats with the straws. and the, like the t- You do. <laughs> two bottles of... Two weeks' time, you'll need one of those. <laughs> um, but no, no, so... You know, because you, you, you see it all the time in other sports where it is... We've got to take each game as it comes. We're going to take the positives oh. from this. We'll be back on the training pitch tomorrow, working on what we got wrong, improving. Sometimes you do need that just saying, you know, Billy Joe Saunders was good at it. Just go, I was, I was poor. I apologize. I was poor. I wasn't good enough today and I've let you guys down. You know, that's what you need. And, yeah. and the problem is because everyone is so risk averse and they're like, that could be interpreted seven different ways. Do not worry about that. Don't worry about that. It's, it's one of the things I remember speaking with Umar a while ago and saying, one of the great things in life is being able to impose your will on the world. And really, that's what boxing is. You're imposing your will on the world. So if you want the world to see you as Umar Sadiq, do not be afraid to present the world Umar Sadiq. And that's what he's doing. And he's doing it well for now. And it, it, it will only get better, I hope. So let's... Let's hope he, I mean, let's hope the success comes and it opens up new lanes. Uh, Joshua Bartzi is cut from that same cloth as well. Your guys are Brad Paul. I know Martin's talked about a lot. Linus. All these guys who can hopefully be themselves and be that engaging character where you're like, I wouldn't mind having a beer with him. Yeah, Dan Glose's opening uh, remark was that Umar came across very intelligent, which is wildly refreshing. Which I definitely echo because it, it was. It was just nice to hear someone who. I completely uh, agree. From the outside listening in, yeah. not being involved last week, to hear a boxer use the word discombobulated, <laughs> I was taken aback. And have that logical teardown of 
of uh, uh, the, boxing judging. Yeah, oh, owning a title. Awesome. That was really awesome. I did enjoy that. Danny Watley, if he does come to the uh, live show, will already owes us a shot of branding. Um, next week, there are four beep shows uh, being broadcast on four platforms. How the hell is that cost effective? Have, as, if anyone's never watched a, a Danny Watley video... Do it. The man is a ball of manic energy. Like he, he <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I was there and I'm like, I'm watching a video of a man sat in a room, wiping his nose, taking a swig, opening a window, closing a window. But I still have to listen to this because he he's just going in. But that is it's brilliant. And if you guys can give him a listen, by all means do so. He is an engaging guy. Um agreed. We've been talking about this this boxing bubble. And this this is what a har I won't say harbinger, old school word, of the time that we're in now, whereby there's a fixed audience for boxing. Let's be clear about this. And there's a fixed audience for non-major event boxing, so like non-AJ type fights. You spread that four ways, nobody wins. Like no one wins at all, you know. Eubank is on isn't the Eubank fight on pay-per-view it is I can't imagine those numbers being good because you got Crawler Burns which is it a is. healthy fight and, and the and, MTK show which we're involved in that's going to bring in millions and, and now millions, millions. Now boost but, but give Hearn credit like what a great spoiling tactic you just put I'm, I'm going to put a free-to-air fight on that might be reasonably competitive and people know the names and so It'll bring in a casual audience. Yeah, and here all of a sudden, oh, that's the guy that fought Linares. Oh, and that's the guy that fought Terence Crawford. Mm. So Eubank is likely to suffer. So, and, but you know Hearn doesn't want to do this. He'd rather consolidate his talent on a few key shows and maximize revenue. But this is where we are at the moment. You know, We're, we're going to be saturated. There's a Warren show coming up in about three weeks. There's a Hay show that's coming up in three weeks as well. It's... I'm looking at the calendar going, this is too much. In fact, I'm not even interested in most of it now because it's just so much of it. There's no build-up. There's been no build-up to Crawler Burns. Nothing. You know, there's, there's no time. Ace McPlayboy asks, what I remember, lads, can we get the inside track on Cass Ashfak, the situation, on the pod tomorrow? I know you know. Winky Smiley, laughing cry Smiley. So, so I don't think anyone knows. I imagine if you walked into one of the arches near Vauxhall Station and asked David, he's probably like, nah, don't really know the real reason, but okay, if you want to go, go. I would suspect if you look at the, if you look at the genesis of this whole Haymaker ring star, it was important to get Olympians on there. And there weren't that many floating around who were willing to turn over. So to get Joe Joyce, who was definitely a marquee name, and Kesh Ashfak as well. So that, that showed that David had some pulling power. Then I think you've got this Willie Hutchinson as well. So it showed he had some pulling power. But then you start to look at that roster. You've got David, right? Essentially, David Hay is a one-man marketing machine. You've got Joe Joyce, who you can sell as the Olympic silver medalist, the injustice, and down the line of fight with Tony Yoka. Yeah, so there's money in him already. And he's London-based, so you can sell him in London, you know, many times over. Um, you got you got MVP, uh, Michael Venom Page. 
who will bring the MMA crowd with him because they want to see what does this guy do in boxing. So he he's he's already a crossover star. So as you start to build these names up, the odd name out because you've got Willie Hutchinson who's loved in Scotland. So there's already that interest. Kesh Ashfaq's a guy who doesn't have a constituency at the moment. He's of that size where he's the same size as Jack Bates and, and Jack Bates has gone pro and he owns Leeds because his dad, Mark Bates, is pretty influential in Leeds. So you're looking at Ashfaq going, where are you going to sell tickets? Where are you going to build a profile? And it's not necessarily that you're going to just sack him off. That doesn't make any sense. But he doesn't become a priority because there's no demographic he's tapping into where there's an urgency to get him on board. Whereas with Joe Joyce, people want to see him. And once you put that Ian Lewis in fight in, it sets a standard. You can't put Kesh Ashfaq in with a seasoned veteran already because a year ago in the Olympics, he wasn't that good, if we're being honest. And he could have benefited from another two years. So I just imagine... He wanted to be treated a lot better than he's been treated. Haymaker Ringstaff said, we don't see the value of the investment in you at the moment. And so they probably went separate ways. And I expect him to be promoted up north. And that will be where he tries to build a fan base. George asks um, for your guys' take on the whole Cyclone thing. (laughs) Interesting one. So uh, Michael Conlon the Irish uh, Olympian one famed um, for... The one that gobbed off. Putting a middle finger up to mm. Aiba. Um, what was that about again? Uh, that was when he got uh, done in the Olympics for a terrible decision against a Russian lad. Oh, uh, okay. So he just put his fingers up to the judge. So I thought it was fair. <laughs> you would. Uh, oh! <laughs> I thought it was fair. He, he was showboating in the fight and he paid a heavy price for it. He should know that judges don't like showboating. So he paid a heavy price. No sympathy at this side of the table. All right, so Conlon... Um, that is why Charles Martin lost, by the way. He was showboating with his crown. Otherwise, it was a probably a now-done win for Charles Martin. He was showboating Martin. on his arse, wasn't yeah. it? <laughs> <laughs> Those spray-on shorts. Um, so Sorry, Michael, I won't cut you off again. Sorry, go on. Michael Conlon last night, so Saturday night, puts out a tweet um, that was just out of the blue, it seemed. There wasn't any, any context. Just put dot, 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 dot. Ash, at, uh, like, added Josh Taylor. Then the three letters, MTK, dot, 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 dot. Uh, That's it, like, left it there. Um, And so there was no kind of um, context as to why you would be doing that. So Josh Taylor is signed with Cyclone at present. You've seen Carl Frampton leave. You've seen Conrad Cubbins, uh, Cummings leave recently. You've seen their shows go from being at kind of Wembley Arena or uh, bigger shows now they're doing one at York Hall where they're teaming up with Hellraiser promotions Mickey and then they've got this new show that they've put on with Josh Taylor up in Edinburgh um, but other than that it's all fairly quiet and then Josh Taylor has been putting out um, like odd tweets so he put one out yesterday just said it's all piss in the wind hashtag going nowhere and then when somebody queried with him about if that was about Ahara Davis, he said, nah, wrong topic. Um, and so it's almost like, you know, it's again one of those tweets where you're like, oh, you're right, hun. You're right, Josh. Um, I don't really know what's going on with it. But Cyclone at the moment look like they're in disarray. Carl walking out, Comrade leaving, whether that's by mutual consent or otherwise. He's not a huge loss, don't get me wrong. Like... He's an okay fighter, but he's no Carl Frampton. He doesn't shift thousands of tickets... And he's probably never going to be a world champion. But it just 
it doesn't look good as a, a holistic package for someone like Conrad to be walking out very soon after Carl has. What's that? Happy? Yeah. <laughs> Look, I think I've, I've, I've touched on this a couple of times around Cyclone and the impending cliff they were headed down. <clears throat> we talk about this with promoters and, you know, fights. Promoting is a very cash-intensive industry. In terms of working capital, promoting boxing bouts will wipe you out. So let's just, let's take Hearn, for example. Forget everything else that needs to happen right now, right? Hearn needs to put money together for AJ and Pulev. Now, if we just assume you're going to guarantee AJ six million for this, you're going to guarantee Pulev two and a half. Just theoretically, these are these numbers are making up. That money's out your bank account now. That's an escrow somewhere. Yeah? Until the fight's over, that's an escrow. Hearn can't touch that. He can't use it for anything else. So now he has the, the liquidity he has to play around with now is limited. By the same token, you've got to put your share of the co-promotion with Haymaker up for that fight too. So Hearn might at any given point have nine or 10 million pounds just on purses in escrow, venue hire, securing costs, forward paying security, all of these things Hearn has to put money up for. And then he's got the other shows he runs, Next Gen and so forth. So at any given moment, Hearn, Hearn's living in his overdraft until the end of the year when hopefully money starts to drop in. And that's Matchroom. That's a well-capitalized company with great liquidity. Cyclone isn't well-capitalized and it doesn't have great liquidity. So you couldn't have a Frampton fight against, was it Avalos or whatever his name was? You couldn't have that fight this summer and then move into trying to promote a Conrad Cummings fight and then give Josh Taylor a big fight there isn't enough money to go around. Now, they lost a shed load of money on the Frampton fight that didn't happen. So now you're like, our budget's tight. We now have to go to York Hall. And so what you're seeing is they're running out of money and they're not finding ways to generate money. Just beating O'Hara Davis was an expensive enterprise for them. One that wasn't needed, as we said on the podcast. They didn't need to do that just yet. So the problem with Cyclone essentially is they don't have the money to make the fights that guys like Taylor need. Like Taylor's a world top 15 fighter now. He needs certain fighters. He needs a certain purse, which will be a quarter of a million roughly. And it doesn't look like Cyclone can do that at the moment. But here's the other thing about Cyclone. You know, I guess when you work in the industry, I do, you, you hear about certain financial matters. I mean, just from a business relationship perspective, I know the money hasn't been good. So you wonder, can they give Taylor the fights? Can they give anyone of those guys the fights? I know they're just taking Chris Billum Smith on board. And look, he made his debut in either Poole or Bournemouth, but definitely in Dorset, which isn't traditionally how you, you bring someone on. In Dorset? Yeah, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only uh. pulled up for this. But... Uh, but but here, here's here's the nub of the problem. So so we're saying that Cyclone isn't great. But let's go back to the conversation we had about Don King and how Don King had some very unique promotional and managerial arrangements with his fighters. Um, let's go back to James Bonecrusher Smith versus Tim Witherspoon. This might have been 85 or 86. Don King promotes the event. Both men are managed by his stepson. 
if that doesn't scream conflict of interest. <laughs> so you've essentially got a promoter negotiating with his stepson over how much to pay each fighter, of which they all get a cut of that money. You know, you know that, 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 that was an absolute disgrace. And this is why you have in America, you have the Muhammad Ali Act, which means, you know, you, you have clearly defined roles and you cannot act in two roles in any given situation. It's why Al Heyman is not a promoter. Well, I am... Why is it called the Muhammad Ali Act? Do you know what? You've caught me on the hop on that. It might be because Muhammad Ali was the first guy to challenge whether you could have a promoter and a manager being the same person. It makes sense. But yeah. But the fact that going back yeah. to Josh Taylor, as we we're discussing, like he's got the fight with Miguel Vasquez signed off up in Edinburgh. Like, let's just. If that fight goes ahead, fair play. Um. They've got to be question marks. You have to, when you look at the whole situation there, with what they've got going on, who's left, where they are at present, you have to query whether that fight's going to go ahead. I hope it does, because it's a really, really good fight. But there are, you know, there's an awful lot of stuff at the moment that makes you think that maybe won't. No. And, and now you look, they've got the gym in London, which is another overhead, and they're running out of fighters to use it. So you have to, you have to worry about what's going on. I think a few months ago, I said it on this podcast, do not be surprised if MTK move into that space. That Channel 5 deal is a good foothold for MTK. Um, it seems that that's, that's the direction of travel. Taking over Cyclone by having Barry McGuigan as a figurehead can only enhance what, Cyc uh, what MTK are all about. Barry and Matt Macklin... That's a strong, that's a powerful force. You have Shane as one of the go-to trainers in that organization. So you split between Shane McGuigan and Jamie Moore. And you can see that you can see the synergies, but what, what you can't have, I don't think, is you can't have two promotional companies trading off the Irish factor and both being viable. So I'd expect in the next 12 months you'll see MTK take on a greater presence around Cyclone. Um and it's a shame because, you know, Barry's a good man, Shane's a good man, but I don't think any of the boxers were happy with having to pay four or five different members of the same family out of their purses. It didn't seem to make any sense. Liverpool J asks, why hasn't Frampton's opponent been announced? Uh, no idea. Um, you know, he signed with Warren. They're probably sorting it out. It's not going to be a world title fight, you'd suspect, um, but probably an eliminator of some sort. I, I don't know. I don't know. Who's got the WBO belt? That's uh, uh, Valdez, Oscar Valdez. Okay, so that's the that's the path they're headed down. I'd suspect so. Um, but yeah, no, I don't think it'll be Oscar Valdez for this fight. But I suspect it'll be some form of final eliminator. Um, James Campbell asks: Considering some young amateurs may only get three to four fights or less per season, is there an argument for a monthly league slash divisional format? No, because the reason they fight three or four times a year is because they only want to fight three or four times a year. Um, so they could fight if they wanted to more. Um, Shouts out to Brook Streetfield. Uh, we spoke about this last week, and it's one of my real bugbears in amateur boxing. That's going to go on for a while then. Yeah, get a coffee, get some popcorn. Basically, look, amateur boxing is not that hard. Whatever they try and tell you, it's not that hard. It's not like the pros, because... It's rare that you're overmatched in a fight. Maybe your first bout, you're overmatched because 
you do. You get some kids who have been in the gym five years fighting some kid who's been in the gym for five months. It's happened before. But generally, it, you're evenly matched. And if you go back to like 15 years when my generation were active, you fought once every fortnight. So you always stayed on weight. You fought once every fortnight. There was no drama involved. You fought, shook hands, fine, on to the next one. So kids were fighting 15 or 20 times a year. You know, throwing the tournaments, you could get to 20, 25 bouts in a year. What's happened now is these youngsters are taking on the pro methodology of, I need a 12-week camp. I'm like, 12-week camp to do what? <laughs> you know, what do you need a 12-week camp for in the amateurs? Absolutely nothing. You're fighting for three bloody rounds, right? It's laziness and coaches because a lot of these coaches are you know, gym box personnel or fitness first pad men. And they don't really understand the old school values because they weren't raised in those, which are, you just fight whenever you, I mean, your hands hurting. So what you fight, you know, you don't have to be a hundred percent. We discussed this earlier. Very few people are a hundred percent when they do anything. Isn't that the down to the call of the boxer though, more so than it is the trainer. It shouldn't be. So, it, it, so, but then it should, then that's a trainer encouraging someone to fight when they're injured, right? Well, no, it's saying, Look, here's an example. Someone will come in and go, my hand hurts. And then they smash this shit out of the bag. And then you're like, oh, I swore again. Sorry. <laughs> you're going to be so drunk. I know. No, no, but dude, they, they, they knock lumps out of the bag, right? And then you say, well, you're hitting with full power. Go in there and spar. Oh, no, no, no. My hand's hurting. Now, in the old world, you'd be thrown out the gym. But listen, come back when you've got a right. pair. So... <laughs> We all used to jump in and spy. I mean, your thumb's hurting. You learn to, to manage around it. And this is why you see kids now, when it gets tough, they're willing to quit. Danny Williams had an arm hanging out <laughs> and he carried on. So did Isaac Chamberlain, though. Fair play to Isaac. And Isaac, Isaac coached by Ted Bammy, who's from that old school. Yeah. Yeah, shouts out to Isaac. Love for Isaac. Yeah, Isaac's one of our guys, man. Yes. Guys. Oh, mate, always welcome on here, you know. Always welcome on here, son. But we'll give you a platform, Isaac. You should be fighting 15 or 20 times a year. But what's happening now? You know, these, these kids like a Mason Smith, for example, who's had over 100 bouts are becoming rarer and rarer. And you're getting kids turning pro with like 11, 12 bouts. And they would be spread over three or four years. And it just means generally the standard of boxing is poor. Craig of Fight Talk My asks... Craig. MTK Global seem to increasingly seem to be increasingly gaining a foothold over British boxing. However, their role is varied and, varied and can be a bit vague. Can anyone actually nail down what they are? Promoters, managers, advisors, gym owners, money men, YouTube broadcasters. Are they trying to monopolize the sport? From what I see it as, and I don't have any larger insight than anyone else, I think it's a really, really clever um set of moves that they're doing at the moment so what they seem to be doing is lining up a lot of um a lot of talent and a lot of platforms and a lot of um just very wise strategic moves without ever revealing their hand too much so what i mean is they're getting the likes of um carl frampton in now i think they've got him officially as an ad their advisors now it might be something to do with the cyclone relationship with frampton still i'm not sure but they've got loads of talent that they manage. They've got some talent they promote. They're putting on their own shows up and down the country from Scotland to London. Um, now, each of these... So the the one that's up in Scotland coming up has got Gary Cornish versus Sam Sexton for the English... Uh, sorry, the British heavyweight title. 
And so they're putting together kind of increasingly bigger and better shows. They've done this teaming up now with uh, with IFL to broadcast on YouTube. They previously broadcast their, themselves on YouTube. It just seems like they're putting a lot of things into place under the radar a little bit that maybe in time, once they get their own TV platform or they perhaps go larger on the YouTube platform, I don't know which, um, it seems like maybe there's there's going to be like a point where they hit an apex where they're going to go for it. I don't I don't know, but that seems like the logical thing to do. So you take on lots of talents with the managerial side of it, a fair few talents with the promotional side. You get the experience now of running the shows up and down the country. You get the experience of putting out a broadcast on YouTube, and at some point, like all of that experience, I'd imagine they're looking to pay off in some form of either TV or online broadcaster. Going to fire through some questions now. With White, uh, Ben, LOFC asks, with White calling out Wilder, do you think White will ever win a world title? Is he good enough? My answer would be no. Although saying that, uh, I said that that is my actual answer. Saying that, um, White Park would be an interesting fight. But okay. Interesting. I mean, interesting is not really the right word. It'd be two sluggers. It could be a a right battle. Fair play to Dillian White. He was having loads of photos Friday night at the Board Awards and he stood and smiled and did the old fist up in the air for everyone that wanted a photo. Like He was a very, very decent bloke like, just doing that. However, is he good enough to win a world title in this era? Yeah, absolutely he is. If Joseph Parker is, yeah. then Dillian White is. Who is Parker bleh, Who is Parker going to fight next? Do you know? Depends the Hey Bellew winner, I think is the plan. Oh, really? Yeah, so the Hey Bellew winner, if he gets through that, well, actually, the winner of that God. is... No, the, the winner of that will be AJ's opponent in the summer. Pretty much take it. <laughs> please. I don't think, if Bell please you, don't win, If Bell you comes through, he's not going to fight AJ. <laughs> He'll fight Parker. Yeah, but, but yeah, so he he'll fight Parker, fight lose to Parker, Parker will fight AJ. But essentially, that's that's the path. Oh, path. God. Can you, I just don't want to... Oh, just... Bellew. I actually but, quite like Bellew, but he's just but, not. But good it was enough. a nice, it was a nice bit of opportunism by Dillian White, who actually I think I think Dillian's a good, honest pro who will fight anyone. But I think with the Wilder thing, all they'll do is they'll move around that card, right? Ortiz will drop down to fight Stavern because then it's like, well, both of them are dirty. Let them slug it out. And I suspect Deontay Wilder will fight Dominic Brazil next for two reasons. One. Heyman had to keep Brazil sweet after what happened in Alabama. And two, it's a good yardstick fight. What happened for, in Alabama? Um, I think it was Wilder's brother and Wilder basically just stuck it on Brazil and his crew. So Brazil was like, I'm looking to press charges. I think Heyman probably had a word and said, shh, don't say anything. You're going to fight. You're going to fight Wilder. You're going to make a lot of money. That's going to calm you down. But they had to, they had to look like they wanted to fight Ortiz but then have a credible reason for not fighting Ortiz, which they now have. But it leaves Ortiz to fight Stavern in what could be an entertaining fight between quite old and inactive men. And it leaves the two young guns set to fight on that same card as well. And it will all be made to look like, well, we simplified it, we're winning, this is great. And then it sets Wilder up on the path towards fighting Joshua. So then what is the future for White in, the, in the, all of that? He, he should just fight someone of even someone like a Tom Schwartz from Germany just someone or an Otto Valens just someone like that fight just someone just fight Jazora endlessly until somebody Dillian White, I genuinely believe he would fight 99% of people you put in front of him yeah. I don't necessarily think it's him I think it's what um, 
Terry was saying earlier about the Eddie Hearn cash flow potential. Where is the money at the moment to get a decent opponent for Dillian White? You, is it there? Yeah, you can't put four and a half million off for Deontay Wilder. No, those heavyweights are expensive people, man. It's uh, it's hard work. Okay, um, boxing fan zero. What other divisions would you like to see the Super Series in, and why? Thanks. Welterweight for me. I'd like to see welterweight. Uh, I'd like to see. I don't know. I think welterweight's the obvious one. Um, like middleweight, but then with Charlo going up into middleweight, maybe I don't even like to see him have a go at that. Um, but they're already kind of having that with with Lubin, yeah, Trout, Lara, yeah, all fighting on the same night. Yeah, they're doing like the Superfly card, but moving it up a few weight divisions, didn't yeah. they? It's um, great. That's a great event. It is. It is. Um, so, for, but I mean, the light middleweights are a little bit interchangeable for me. Um, whereas I'd like to see, yeah, welterweights. I'd work out who the best welterweight in the world is. Is it Errol Spence? Is it Keith Thurman? Danny Garcia's still chirping off in there. Kel Brook, I'm sure, would, you know, glue his eye back together to have a go at it. Um, yeah, that'd be where I'd go. Istiennev, 5001. You know who you are. Uh, or perhaps, <laughs> perhaps not after I've bastardized that name. As Eddie does not have exclusive rights on HBO, what does he need to make it a success? I'm assuming this is uh, Matchroom USA. As we know, Americans are more critical. Nice sweeping statement. A miracle. You, you signed Danny Jacobs, but Danny Jacobs wasn't a seller. Like His value came from maybe this is the guy that can beat Golovkin. He didn't beat Golovkin, so he's kind of gone back to being Danny Jacobs again. So... How do you build a card around Danny Jacobs when he he can't headline the events that Hearn is used to? Well, I, he can if Paul Butler and Stuart Hall can fucking headline a card. But you know what? I he think can. Yeah. Like, that's the standard we're looking yeah. at. But in this country, we'll we'll swallow that. You know, the Americans are vociferous. Where as soon as Hearn says this is who Danny Jacobs is fighting, they will rip into that guy's. So you're record. going along with this um, idea that they're more critical by far. Needlessly so in some cases, but it's look. I don't know what Hearn's trying to achieve in the states because I don't imagine Heyman's going to let him muscle in. You know, Heyman's got a friendly relationship with the IBF. Aram is building a friendly relationship with the WBO, and he's still got his relationship with the WBC. Golden Boy are in bed with the WBC. Isn't it so just a platform in order to parachute Joshua into the USA? It, yeah, I, I, I buy the Trojan horse argument. But this is still Hearn's reputation on the line. So he will be left with a lot of collateral damage if he can't fix Danny Jacobs. And I wish Danny Jacobs had seen what had happened to Ortiz before he had signed. <laughs> Can I quickly throw it over the really late one? Um, Harry CB at Coob23. The float is at you, Terry. Uh, you can hopefully fire this out quickly. Where do you think Andre Ward ranks in all-time super middles as an American boxer and generically of all time? As a super mid, um, probably behind the cohort of Jones, Tony. Um, he's probably better than the Ben Eubanks. So I put him in that kind of mezzanine between those two. So he's not quite 
you know, I think Tony would have beaten him and I think Jones would have beaten him because they had that boxing knowledge he has, but with greater athleticism in Jones's case, but greater malice in Tony's case. Guys like Mike McCallum would have given him hell, but that would have been a competitive fight. Um, because remember, Super Mid's a relatively new division, so it's only from about 83, 84. So luckily, I don't have to dig too deep. He'd have wiped the floor with Calzaghi. He clearly wiped the floor with Froch. Guys like Sven Otka, he would have beaten. So I think you're really comparing him to Jones and Tony as, you know, is he one of the greats in terms of super middleweight? And he's definitely in that discussion, but probably not better than either of those two. Nice. Okay, some previews for next weekend. Um, Crawler. MTK, be there, be square. (laughs) (laughs) Crawler versus Burns. What do we think to this? It's not a fight that does anything for me. It didn't do anything when it was announced. It doesn't kind really of an also do anything. Rand's fight. That's what it feels like. It is like. a little bit, yeah. Um, it's almost like it should be whoever loses goes into retirement. Like make it that to make it worthwhile for something. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's, <laughs> it's not really a fight anyone wants to be part of. It's like, isn't there a the loser leaves town or something? Yeah, is it WWE's that, that, that style? That kind of is where I'm Find at with who's it. Who's the seventeenth like, best and who will retire? Because. <laughs> They haven't outlined what the path is for the winner. I'm more interested in what happens to the loser. Um, Terence Crawford's given up all the titles at that weight, so there's a very good chance that one of them will um, uh, start working towards that. Um, I don't know. I think Anthony Crawler's going to win. I, I just think he'll outwork him. It's going to rematch with Linares, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, what would Linares' next fight be? I'd say Lomachenko. It could be Lom- well. It's not gonna be Lomachenko because he's fighting Rigondeaux. Um, Linares won't fight again this year. But it could be Garcia. Where would he Mikey fight? Garcia. Would it be in the states? Could or? be Terry Flanagan. Could come over here and and fight Flanagan. Don't know. Okay. Um, the Cyclone Show. Do you want to talk about that again? No, not really. There's not an awful lot. Chantel Cameron fighting on it. We like Chantel Cameron. Beat the drum for her. Whoa! You love your call shows. I like some of your call shows. Oh yeah, just some. Just some. Any particular flavour? Good with flavoured shows? I don't like to commit. <laughs> Same problem for me, mate. <laughs> Swam it into Holic. Now, this might be the greatest show done at York Hall in about five years. Is it? It might be. Yeah. You've got Robin Dupre, what a great athlete. Best cruiserweight I've seen in a long time. Um, might you know, explode. <laughs> Luke go. Watkins finishes him. Nah, look, let's be honest, right? Your calls waited a long time for like a Hellraiser show to, to set the bar. Yeah, yeah he, he had a lot of warm-ups <laughs> in the Camden Centre. And that's it. The, it's a shame <laughs> I'm not going to be there, mate, as well. Which is unusual because, you know what I mean, every Saturday you're normally there. Who's going to be sat at the desk? I don't know. I don't know. Um, no, nobody. <laughs> Maybe. I'm hoping there's a new age boxing summary though. I'd really enjoy that new age boxing summary because I, you know, I'm gonna be busy. I'm in Essex. Oh, can't you delegate <laughs> to you? No, well, I'm, 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 <laughs> you're, you're gonna be in Essex. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a legion of. <laughs> right, but no, no, no. Listen, listen. Seriously, if anyone is in East London and they fancy a good night of boxing, head over to Brentwood. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Eubank versus Yildrim. I don't know anything about Yildrim. I know nothing about Yildrim whatsoever. Isn't Yildrim the guy that's knocked out DeGale's teeth? I think he's the guy that did the initial damage. Did he? I I don't know. 
I know nothing. I, I think I like I him for that. Thing. Um, so Eubank's care, surely going to win. Do we care about his fight? I care about Eubank. I don't care about the fact that they've shipped him over to Germany, put it on a pay-per-view on the same night as shitloads of other stuff on. And that we're commentating, and we didn't get asked to do that one. Yeah. And so Ronald McIntosh is going to be sat there on his own again. Like, I feel sorry for someone send him help. Because every single World Boxing Super Series, he's shipped around Europe to sit on his own <laughs> to do commentary. People are just like, I don't want to work with him. Yeah. So, but we, we've got him for five years. No, I'm not working with him. It's our audition Saturday night. We'll take on the next series. Um, and Hey Bellew has been announced for, well, as we touched on earlier, the Revisit Sunday. everything we said in the build-up to the previous fight. This, yeah, because <laughs> this time it should work. Don't Actually, be lazy. <laughs> do, you, do your research on us. <laughs> <laughs> hey came out and said uh, that oh, last time I said I was going to knock him out in a couple of rounds. I'm not going to say that this time, but I will eventually knock him out. He's been a bit more reserved. Yeah, and he's, and he's, looking, he's looking smaller as well. If you notice, Hey's looking, yeah. he's looking like he's like, I need to be smaller, more nimble. So, at least that's a promising sign. Here's my thing with it, right? No issue with the fight whatsoever. The fight's perfectly fine. Two blokes haven't really got an awful lot else going <laughs> if on. If anything, the first fight wasn't quite right has legitimised the second fight. Yeah, yeah. No, that is almost the case. And I, I'm, I'm cool with that. Like, let the fight happen. They should ban any build-up to it whatsoever. <laughs> because I can't be bothered with it all over again. Yeah, it's a bit... It was, yeah, because too, they went through all much. that. And then in the Boring. immediate aftermath... They were cuddling. Bellew picks him up, they cuddle, etc., etc. They stayed in the same hotel believe, that night as well. Now we're meant to believe they hate Allegedly. each other once again. I'm not having it. Like, I, Let the fight happen. We all know when it is. It's the day before the New Age Boxing goes live. Um, that's how people remember when Hey Bellew is. And everyone tweet Eddie Hearn to come on that, that live show. Tell him. Hammer him. Down. Yeah, because he's going on all these other people's podcasts and little live YouTube videos. Why, ask yourselves, why is he ducking the voice of truth and reason? <laughs> why is he ducking the voice of the Which fans? Which podcast is that one? <laughs> Fight Talk. <laughs> now, honestly, tweet him and say, look, why are you ducking the New Age Boxing podcast? And come down. He's not too good to talk to us. We've had Umar Sadiq here. Eddie can't compete with that. He'll enjoy himself. Uh, Shouts out to Isaac Chamberlain. Always, man. I saw him doing some work with Eubank this week. You know, catching Eubank with some clever little shots there. Man. You know what I mean? If, if Avni Yildrim was watching that, he might have seen the blueprint. But big shout out to Isaac, man. A guy who's dirt tracking and doing it the hard way because no one wants to show him any love where he currently is, man. But we love you, Isaac. We love you. Anytime you want to come on, Isaac, let us know. So, or if you want to come to Camden. Uh, yeah, December 18th. Any other business? No, bring bring some friends. We've finished. Okay, so summarise. We didn't really care about this weekend's action, but a couple of fights. Don't care about the weekend coming up, though. Except for Brentwood. <laughs> Except for the stuff we're doing. And uh, and we're not willing to talk about the big thing that happened is happening in December. <laughs> so, <laughs> however, we are doing a live show. If you want to hear more non-talking about the fact... <laughs> About... You want to hear about anything else we don't care about? <laughs> then come on down. Um, the, Make a list. Next week, we will release more... Well, I say release. We will actually be able to tell you more details about the upcoming live show. and Which will probably gross more than Hennessy's promotion. How bad is that? <laughs> it really won't. <laughs> oh. Yeah, and, um, and obviously we'll be fresh from the commentary. So... Happy I might day. not be here next week, by the way. It's my wife's birthday next Sunday. 
And given that I'm in Essex on Saturday night, <laughs> I think my chance of being allowed out Sunday are uh, limited. I suspect that. M- means... We might have to come back through the sugar hut if Waddy's doing the door. <laughs> um, so we have no other business. We are saying thank you very much for listening. And at least Terry and I will see you next weekend. And Martin will see you the week after. For sure. That's um, after Oktoberfest, though. So uh, <laughs> we might need to plan that one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh God. Ooh. i got some dodgy weekends coming up in October. <laughs> that might have <laughs> to be recorded hardcore. here at like 3 a.m. on Zach's Saturday yeah, night. Oh, man. My liver's taking an absolute pound in this month. <laughs> so are we still recording? Yeah. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, thanks very much for listening. Goodbye. Take care.